verses 1 to 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. Amen. If you had told me back in January of 2020, that a British Prime Minister would be condemned for hosting a quiz, I, I wouldn't have believed you. But given the circumstances, all 70 million of us were frankly appalled. Because the truth is that Calling must inform conduct. That a high calling on a person's life necessitates high living in a person's life. We begin a, the second half of our study of Paul's great letter to the church in Ephesus today. And the point of our passage is walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Because when you were called to belong to Jesus Christ, you were called to the highest calling of all. Higher than that of a prime minister. Higher than that of a king. You were called to become a saint in Christ Jesus. You were called to become a son of the living God. You were called to become a citizen of his kingdom. You were called to become a co-heir with Christ and to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And so that three seconds after you were converted, you found that your legs were dangling out of a, a window in heaven. And in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, Paul has blown our minds with truth about our calling in Christ. And in chapters 4 through 6, Paul transitions and tells us how we are then to live. And so he moves from doctrine in chapters 1 to 3 to duty in chapters 4 to 6. He moves from exposition to exhortation. He moves from theology to practicality, as someone put it. And so look with me at Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul there writes, I therefore. That is, in view of everything I've been saying to you about your calling to salvation in Jesus Christ, in view of all that I've said in chapters 1 to 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. To walk, that is, to conduct yourself, to live, to behave in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
And to help us know what that looks like today, Paul will tell us, number one, about the maintenance of Christian unity, and second, the foundation of Christian unity. The maintenance of Christian unity in verses 1 to 3, and the foundation of Christian unity in verses 4 to 6. But before we come to our text, I want to speak to those of you who are here today and who are not yet believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's because in our passage, Paul will commend virtues to us that are almost universally celebrated today, at least in words. Paul will commend humility to us. He'll commend gentleness to us and patience to us and and love to us. But for those virtues to be realities in your life, at least in the way that God would have them be, then you must first believe on the humble one. You must first come to the gentle one. You must first trust in the patient one and the loving one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In other words, friends, you must be born again. You must be made a new creation in Christ Jesus. And therefore, right where you are here today, whether downstairs here in this room, whether upstairs in our overflow room, whether watching online at home, friend, turn from sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Renounce everything that your conscience accuses you of. Renounce everything that the law of God condemns you for. And believe on the one who bore our sins in his body at the tree. And who was crushed under the just weight of God. In order to present you holy and blameless. Pure, spotless and above reproach before him. And then you will be able to heed Paul's call. For you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus. And again, the point today, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Again, Paul speaks to us first about, number one, the maintenance of Christian unity. Look again, friends, at verses 1 to 3. Paul there writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so how are we to to walk in a manner worthy of our calling? Well by maintaining Christian unity. Not by creating Christian unity around man-made structures, around man-made organizations. No, but by maintaining the unity that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us how to do that by providing for us, if you will, a code of conduct in verse 2. He says in verse 2, to walk with all humility. Why? Well, because pride divides, whereas humility unites. You see, if I walk in pride, I exalt myself and I put you down. And the space between me 
up there and you down there will be filled with all kinds of bitterness resulting in division. But if I lift you up in love and humility, then the space between us will be filled with love, thereby solidifying the unity that we have in Jesus. He says again there in verse 2, to walk with all gentleness. Not swiftly reprimanding that immature Christian who can't see what it's taken you 10 or 20 or 30 years for you to see. But instead, gently, warmly, quietly get get alongside him or her as an equal. In verse 2 again, Paul tells us to walk with all patience. Why? Because an impatient person puts everyone on edge, whereas a patient person puts everyone at ease. A patient person has a briefcase full of second chances. And therefore, everyone is at ease around such a person. An impatient person pushes people away. A patient person draws people in. Paul says, verse 2 again, bearing with one another in love. And friends, this is the kind of tolerance that we as the church of Jesus Christ should want to pursue. You see, worldly tolerance is a tolerance that affirms everything. Worldly tolerance calls evil good. Kingdom tolerance, however, lovingly bears with the people with whom we disagree. And when you put all of this together, and when you stand back, what dawns on you is this. Walking in a manner worthy of our calling means walking in the manner of the one who called us. Please let me say that again. If you missed that, walking in a manner worthy of our calling looks like walking in the manner of the one who called us. Because the one who called us, Jesus Christ, was humble. He was in the form of God. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the one who called us, was gentle. Someone pointed out recently that there's only one verse in the Bible in which Jesus describes his heart to us. It's in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And Jesus, the one who called us, was was patient. You remember the way that he revealed himself to Moses? The Lord, the Lord, a God slow to anger. And if you want an amazing example of that, think of the First words that Jesus spoke to his disciples, having been raised from the dead. You remember his disciples, the one who had abandoned him, the ones who had betrayed him, the ones who had left him to die on a Roman cross all by himself. He appeared in the room to which they were all gathered. And what did he say to them? Peace be to you. And Jesus, the one who called us, bore with us in love. 
In fact, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, to that you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threatened, but it continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so do you see that walking in a manner worthy of our calling looks like walking in the manner of the one who called us. And what happens when we do that? Well, Christian unity is maintained. And of course it is. I mean, should it surprise us in the least that when we show the virtues that drew us to Christ, we find ourselves being drawn to one another? A number of years ago, I I came across a little book called The Love Dare. Bear with me. And it's made up of 40 short chapters that end with a challenge or a dare that you are to show to your spouse. And so the challenge at the end of day one is say nothing negative to your spouse. Day two, the challenge is, as well as saying nothing negative to your spouse, do one unexpected act of kindness. And as you walk through the 40 chapters and as you complete the 40 challenges or the 40 dares, you find that your marriage is altogether revitalized. Why? Because as you demonstrate the virtues that drew your spouse to Christ, you you find that your spouse is being drawn once again to you. And that's how we are to walk in the church. We demonstrate what drew us to Christ and we find that we are being drawn to one another. But friends, please, don't, but please understand, this is no mere suggestion from the Apostle Paul here. This is a downright command. Notice the, the first word of verse 3. Paul writes, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We could translate that word diligent. Be diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because our message of reconciliation to God will only be as convincing as our reconciliation to one another. You see that, friends? If my unity with you is a sham, then my Unity with God will be seen to be a sham as well. And disunity within the church is the surest way to undermine the credibility of our message. Whereas unity in the church is the surest way to strengthen the credibility of our message. If we want people to believe the message that sinners can be reconciled to God then we as sinners need to be reconciled to one another. There are some of you in this church who who struggle 
with some of the songs that we sing because they are too new. And you like the fact that as a church, we're on the cutting edge of the 17th century. And you want us to stay on the cutting edge of the 17th century. And there are others of you in the church, you struggle with the fact that so many of the songs that we sing are are too old. Uh, Anything older than Matt Redman in the 1990s is way too old for you. But friends, are those struggles worth us compromising the credibility of the gospel? Well, friends, no, they're not, especially as we consider the fact that the world around us is running to hell. But as well as challenging us, I want to encourage us with this as well, friends. Since God is at work in us, our witness as a church can be as compelling as we want it to be. What do I mean? Well, For every true believer, the heart of stone has been removed. The heart of flesh has been put in its place. God's law has been written upon it. And they've been filled with the Holy Spirit and they're being caused to walk in God's ways. And therefore, they've been equipped for every good work. And therefore, by His grace and by His enabling, we are able to walk in unity. We are able to be united as a church and therefore our witness as a church can be as strong and as vibrant and as compelling as we want it to be. That is an amazing encouragement for us as a church. And therefore, friends, since that is true, make every effort. Be earnest. Be diligent about maintaining the unity that we have together. Think twice, friends, before edging towards the door five minutes after I've delivered the benediction. But instead, locate that person to whom no one else is speaking and make him or her happy in Jesus. Think very carefully about how you speak in members' meetings. Think twice before folding your arms and, and sulking as we sing that song that you don't like very much. And friends, instead, let your light shine before men that others would see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. Walk in a manner worthy of our calling by maintaining the unity that we have. But second, Paul talks to us about the foundation of Christian unity. Let's look again at verses 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, And through all and in all. Paul's thinking goes like this. Since the foundation of the church is one. The church is to be one as well. Many of you know that in the last century. There was a concerted global effort. To unite all of the churches 
of the world. It was called the ecumenical movement. And the, the tag that was attached to the ecumenical movement was doctrine divides, mission unites. And so the goal was to jettison all theological distinctives in order for us to work together. But you can see from our passage that immediately after Paul encourages unity, he then commends to us the unbreakable foundation of the church. And what is that unbreakable foundation of the church? Well, it is the truth of the Godhead and the truth of the gospel. In other words, Paul doesn't provide us with a lowest common theological denominator. Instead, he provides us with a full-blooded Trinitarian overview of the Christian faith. And he says, in effect, we are to be as unbreakable as our Trinitarian God. We're to be as unbreakable as his gospel. He says there is one body, the church, and one spirit. And he says, you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. One faith, the, the good news of Jesus' sinless life, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection, his ascension to the Father's right hand, and his return to come. He says, one baptism to mark our union with Christ. Verse 6, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The church then is to be as united as its foundation. If the foundation is unified, then what is built on the foundation is to reflect the same unity. And one of the sad implications of this, before we come on to the glorious encouragements of this, is that we cannot be in unity with so-called churches that deny Christian faith. Because the basis of our unity is our Christian faith. I was off last Sunday morning. And so I visited another church. It wasn't in Hoylake. So please don't start to try to guess which church it was. But the theme of the service was inclusion. And it was said in the service that when Jesus healed the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, two healings took place. The woman's daughter was healed, and Jesus was healed of his discrimination. And on that day, Jesus learned a new way of living and of being. And then we sang a song all about how Jesus arrived at this new understanding. Friends, just so you know, that is not Christianity. And therefore, this church cannot be in unity with that church because the foundation is radically and fundamentally different. But since the true church is founded on one unified foundation, then the church of the living God is to be as united as the Godhead and as united as the message that it proclaims. So very, very practically, friend, be as committed to the church as you possibly can be. If we have a united foundation, then why would we stop at being anything else other than united to one another? Paul says that's one of the ways that we can walk worthy of our calling. And so don't have one friend, uh, don't have one foot rather on the foundation 
of the church and then one foot in the world. That's like having one foot on a rock and one foot on sinking sand. Instead, place both feet on the foundation of the church by committing yourself to your brothers and sisters here in this church, if this church is indeed your home church. And friends, that's when the love of the Godhead will be in us. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he prayed these words. I do not ask for these only, that is the twelve, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may also be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. If you're a born-again believer and you view this church as your church, do let me encourage you very practically to, to become a member. That's a very practical way of stepping with both feet onto the foundation of the church. Whatever is holding you back, friends, is not worth jeopardizing the blessing of unity. We are not a perfect church but we do have a perfect foundation. So take your stand upon it with both feet. Now, I've been away for four weeks, and so you're all well overdue a nice Spurgeon quote. So, so Spurgeon said, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord, should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. As I have already said, Spurgeon says, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for you not joining it if you are the Lord's. Nor heed nor, nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners, saved by grace, who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children, where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, and the home for Christ's family. If you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, then take your stand upon the church with both feet. 
and throw yourself into it. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a moment and pray, and then we're going to respond to our God in praise.